Welcome to the Stork Storytime podcast at the North Liberty Community Library. Are you expecting or thinking of starting a family? If so, this podcast is for you. Just as it's never too late to develop a love of reading, it's never too early either. Hello, my name is Jennifer Jordabrack and I'm the Assistant Director at the North Liberty Community Library. Hi, I'm Emily O'Sheridan Tabor and I am Family Services Librarian at the library. And today we'd like to welcome our guest speaker, Dr. Carla McGregor. She's a senior scientist at Boystown National Research Hospital and Professor Emerita in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at the University of Iowa. Thanks for taking some time to talk with us today, Carla. It's an absolute pleasure. Welcome to our podcast, Carla. Before we talk about the importance of play in the learning and development of babies and children, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your job at Boystown? Sure. So I'm a speech-language pathologist and a scientist in the Center for Childhood Deafness, Language, and Learning at Boystown Hospital in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, But I also have a satellite lab here in Iowa City where we're conducting some research on children's uh, vocabulary learning from first grade through fourth grade. And basically what we're trying to understand is how their ability to learn words changes in the first four years of schooling. That's the children's Hmm. vocabulary project. Interesting. Great, as Emily mentioned, we're going to be talking on this podcast about the importance of play and the role it has uh, for both babies and children's in learning and their development. Um, Playing is actually one of the ways that kids develop literacy skills. They also learn them by talking, reading, listening, and singing, but today we're gonna focus on the playing aspect. Carla, can you share with our listeners why playing is so important? Absolutely. I think something really powerful to know that relates to the importance of play is that the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child actually recognizes the right of the child to play. They think it's that important. I'll even read you one line that they say, given the benefits of play and the consequences of playlessness, It is clear that play is fundamentally linked to children's rights as a whole. Play is not a luxury to be considered after other rights. I think that's a pretty powerful statement that this international group recognizes that when children play, it's their, it's sort of like their work. It's their way of learning and developing. Obviously it's fun, but it really does benefit them. What are some of the benefits of, of play? Well, I think the best way to think about the benefits is to kind of divide up uh, play into its various kinds. So some play is physical play, like exercise play, rough and tumble play, going for walks in the woods, that kind of play. And obviously some of the benefits there are physical, so strength and endurance, but also uh, some things you might not think about. So if you imagine um, two little children doing some rough and tumble play. It, it can sort of look like they're fighting, but if it's really rough and tumble play, they're smiling, they're giggling, right? So they're sort of doing an enactment that kind of teaches them how to read the emotions of others and how to know when an interaction is positive versus negative. Um, so 
I think that's interesting that you're gaining some social and emotional skills even in just rough and tumble physical play. Yeah, because you could even get like gain the knowledge to know when something has gone from a positive to a negative experience, especially in that specific situation. Absolutely. Like if you're being too rough or you did something that your friend did not like or vice versa. Absolutely. That's a pretty safe way to yeah. figure that out, right? To learn that lesson. We can also think about object play, like playing with blocks and Lego and puzzles. A lot of what comes out of that sort of play is the ability to recognize patterns, some early counting and math skills, some planning and problem solving. Those are all um, benefits of object play. There's also doll play, and I don't mean just like a traditional doll that we think of as traditionally a girl's toy, but you could also think of stuffed animals and superheroes. And so anything that the child might um, pretend is is an animate person. Yeah. Then they can do a lot of um, a tryout of dialogue and of relationships to make the one doll talk to the other Mm -hmm. the one doll's the mom the other doll's the daughter teacher student exactly so they can get some role playing sort of with the support of the dolls and figurines so that's very healthy there's also pretend play and that's where children start to take on fantasy roles like maybe pretending to be a teacher or pretending to be a pirate And there are all kinds of of goodies that come along with that in terms of sort of putting yourself in someone else's shoes, thinking about how other people might think. It's a really healthy social skill to develop. Developing some empathy. Exactly. Exactly. And then finally, there are games. So uh, board games or... um, well, I mean, some of these merge together, even physical games where you're it's not a board game, but maybe like Simon Says, right? Mm-hmm. So then you mm-hmm. have to learn how to take turns. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you have to learn how to follow rules. All of those are also very valuable lessons that can come out of play. Yeah. Also social cues with that, like knowing kind of, at least when my kids play Simon Says, they always kind of stop a little bit. If they're not going to say Simon and, you know, they're like waiting for the anticipation of (laughs) like, you know, so like getting those cues from the person who's doing the instruction. That's right. That's right. And they're able to use their imagination as well. That helps in, in development when they play. Absolutely. That's a very critical skill. You don't always get to experience, um, all relevant, um, aspects of the world in reality. So by being able to go into play, just like by being able to go into books, you get to broaden out those experiences. Right. That's a really good correlation. I love that a lot with the the play and then the imagination that you use when you're, you know, immersing yourself in a a story. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And so you kind of mentioned, um, you know, like with the rough and tumble play, so that's helping them to develop motor skills. Um, And cognitive thinking and social skills as well also are important. Absolutely. And what about, so we've kind of been talking about maybe the toddlers or um, kids a little bit older, you know, with the rough rough and tumble play. But what about babies or like at what age, um, you know, it might look to parents that their babies are just sitting there if they're kind of waving their arms around or like, when is it okay to play with a baby Mm -hmm. or um, can you kind of tell our listeners a little bit about that? Sure. So I think... What we classically call play might not really kind of fit the baby's behavior early on, 
But if you if you kind of entertain a broader notion of what it means to play, I would say that babies are playing almost from the get-go. So if you look at a little infant um, lying in the crib or sitting up in a, a car seat, they're often uh, playing with their own toes, um, kind of waving their arms around. Sometimes they're uh, practicing. They, they, well, I don't know if they think it's practicing, but it sounds <laughs> like they're practicing uh, babble noises. Yeah. And those seem quite playful if you think about it. Sometimes babies will do that. So if you tiptoe in, the baby thinks he's alone, he's doing that, right? So he's not doing that for you, he's doing that for him, yeah. right? Which is kind of a definition of play, is doing something because it's fun. Fun, right, right? for you. So yeah. I think the baby's uh, rhythmic movements when they're kind of flailing around or practicing their babbles is a form of play for them. I think they probably get enjoyment out of it. And then very early on in the first year of life, you get this back and forth, you know, maybe from the very first days, you can get this back and forth of, of um, babies, eye gaze to a parent, parent returning that. Um, just that simple turn taking is, is a real foundation yeah. for what will be turn taking in conversation later on. Mm-hmm. And so if we have some new and expecting parents listening, um, so different forms of play like with a newborn would, would be like maybe peekaboo or um... peekaboo is a great example because it does scaffold that turn taking and the baby, after you've done it a number of times, will come to anticipate mm-hmm. right what what his turn is in the game essentially, and that's very satisfying yeah. for the baby mm-hmm. and satisfying for the parent too because yes. it's really right. fun yeah. to see your baby doing that. So yeah, games like peekaboo where it's my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn. Those are really healthy things to do with your baby early on, and I think just the bonding experience yeah. that comes out of the play is really great too. Yes being able to spend that quality time. One thing I really like to do with my girls when they were little is like the imitation. So how you were talking about like the looking. So not when they're infants, but when they get a little bit older and they're able to control um, their... So if you stick your tongue out at them and then they stick their tongue out at you or you try to touch your nose and then they try to do the same thing or just even you don't have to move, but just even do like facial movements. So you close your eyes and then open them and they like do the same thing. I just always thought that was such a fun thing you can do it in the car, you can do it while you're changing their diaper, you can do it while, you know, like after or before nursing, before bed, and it's just such a simple way to connect. Like you said, like have some connection time with the baby and really like that in itself is such a great benefit, but the other kind of benefits that you had mentioned just um, make it all the better. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I think you bring up a useful point that play doesn't have to mean buying toys or certain games. Play can be something you do in your daily routines. It can be something that doesn't require any materials at all, or maybe just materials like the box that, you know, the refrigerator came in. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. So it doesn't have to be costly to be fun, which means that all families have the opportunity to Mm -hmm. do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a really good equalizer. That's awesome. Mm Well, I think it's great if you start right from the beginning on in that mode of thinking of playing with your child and interacting with them, then that just builds. And, you know, you don't have to wait until they're six months old until it seems like they come alive a little bit more and can interact. It's really important to start doing that from day one. Right, right. 
I agree. I agree. I think you can do it from day one. And the child is going to just gradually meet that expectation. And then you know to go up a little bit more mm-hmm. in terms of, well, if we're talking about a turn-taking game, for example, then maybe the pauses get longer where you're anticipating the baby's going to take his turn. But you know he can, right? Because yeah. you've done that before. And so the pauses get longer or the... the um, sort of the scaffolding you give the baby to get his quote-unquote job done, um, get lower and lower. So the baby kind of grows into that play, um, and we'll start to seek it out for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, that's a great point, that parents are their child's first teacher, and so they are teaching them when they play. And so that's, I think, just something important to keep in mind um, as a new parent. It seems like there's a lot of demands on your time already, mm-hmm. but you can build that, like you said, yeah. Emily, while changing the diaper, yep. and, you know, play peekaboo with them or something, and just kind of building that into your normal routine and starting immediately will enable you to build that in and continue as they grow well it's not that you have to sit around and do flashcards with them (laughs) right you know it's like you know Mm -hmm. you just teach them like you said social skills and how to be Mm -hmm. um how to recognize uh things in other people and and have empathy and so that's something that you can just do without any materials that's right that's right and of course the bigger the family it seems like the less time a parent's going to have but Older siblings are really good playmates, yes. too. So mm-hmm. that yeah, it doesn't definitely. always have to be the parent who's doing the face-to-face interaction. Yeah. Uh, they can benefit from playing with peers and older siblings and grandparents and yeah. et cetera, right? Yeah. I think I always said my daughter, and I know you have three, so maybe your second and third. Um, uh, my second daughter, uh, my youngest, she had did things so much quicker than oh, my yeah. first did. It's because <laughs> she saw her big sister doing it. So they learned mm-hmm. how to ride a bike without training wheels within the first, within a week of each other. Because my older yeah. mm-hmm. one, as soon as she learned how to do it, my younger one was watching her learn how to do it with training wheels. As soon as she took them off, she knew exactly how her big sister did it, and she was off <laughs> running a week later. And so they see that from their siblings, and you know that can be also as as a baby, you just see uh, or observe you know, your older siblings doing things right. and, and interacting with people too. So that's, I think that's awesome. It's really great. Yeah, exactly. Them. Yes. Yeah. And so like at what age can kids start playing either like by themselves or with other kids or parents or, and siblings? Like, so a great location would be to take them to a play group or something. And maybe mm-hmm. parents might get frustrated at first if, if the kids are all mm-hmm. kind of playing by themselves, they don't interact quite yet. Right. Right. That's true. So, so, um, children early on when they're, um, at a play group, for example, they will typically do what we call parallel play. So they're playing and doing their own thing. The child next to them kind of playing, doing Mm -hmm. his own thing. There's not a lot of interaction, but that parallel play is a good place to start. And a parent or an other adult could sort of help those two to interact a little bit, um, asking them to share or putting them next to each other or, you know, playing the game and including both of them. Um, but, but in some ways, their interaction is going to come together, whether you scaffold that or not, because gradually they kind of move out of the parallel play and into being interested in types of play that really require interaction. So it's, I don't think parents should worry if they're in a play group and their child is doing parallel play. If it's a young child, if it's a, um, a toddler, for example, that's probably very typical. Yeah, it's like a, a, a developmental step. It's a developmental yeah. step. 
And who knows? I mean, maybe that toddler is actually learning something or getting enjoyment from watching the peer, even though he or she's not playing directly with right. the peer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, as a new mom, I always thought parallel play was weird until I learned that that was, you know, it's something that kids do and that they almost like have to do. They get through yes. that step. And still, even when it was happening, I still felt kind of odd about it, even though I'm like, I, I know that I know that this is right. It's There's nothing wrong with this. Just like mm-hmm. let it go. So it seems so like not unnatural, but kind of against the grain. You think that kids would, especially if you sit them down next to each other, they're going to want to play with each other. Mm-hmm. So I think it's good for new parents to know that. I think sometimes parents can even... Um, parallel play with their child. So, I mean, the tendency for the parent is to want to interact with the child, of course, but sometimes that's a little overwhelming depending on the developmental level of the child. And so having toys out and sort of doing your own thing next to your child and maybe commenting on what you're doing, but not directing his play or forcing him to interact can be kind of a gentle way to get started. Right. That's a really great idea. That is good. That's yeah. a great idea. Um, playing today, um, I feel, is kind of becoming a lost activity, yeah. unfortunately, in today's society. And even just seeing the um, transgression or the my kids, my three boys, um, you know, just when they were littler, mm-hmm. smaller, and, um, you know, playing together. And then all of a sudden electronics start getting mm-hmm. introduced and, you know, there's not as much outside play and it's more screen time play. And, yeah. Um, do you want to make co- any comments on that or any advice for, for those new and expecting parents on kind of what they should watch out for? Or? Sure. I, I think it's um, a really important point that you've made that play has changed. It, it actually has changed from the get-go. So I read an interesting history of play in the United States. And what I learned is that the, the white settlers, so we're talking the Puritans, uh, considered play to be sinful, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they didn't want their children to play, and so lo and behold, children played outside, in other words, away from adults, yeah. <laughs> who were going to tell them not to play, right? Uh, so that, you know, I know, they're, they're pretty brilliant little creatures, right? Um, so, so that was, you know, kind of in the beginning, sort of play was frowned upon, it wasn't recognized that play is actually healthy for the child's learning and development. But that started changing, and in the same history that I read, um, uh, someone, a historian, had found a shopping list, a Christmas list, that George Washington had written of what he wanted to buy his stepkids for Christmas. Really? And so this was, I wrote it down, this was 1759, and George Washington's shopping list was bells, spinning, tops, and dolls. Mm. So that's roughly 100 years after the Puritans, and already people were coming to realize that play is okay and that toys can be healthy, right? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we've... We've continued to change, and one of the things that's changed a lot, as you were mentioning, is the that play has become much more structured, much more adult-led, um, less outdoor play for sure. Mm-hmm. And some of those changes, well, probably all of them are well-intentioned. They probably have to do with wanting very much to keep our children safe. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm, definitely. So it's a fine line. Of course, you want your child to be safe. I want my child to be safe. But you also want them to have a chance to to try some independence and exploration, yeah. right? So I think the reasons why we are where we are in terms of structure and little outdoor play 
but we need to find ways to make room for that. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you an example of why that I think is surprising. So most people can easily imagine why outdoor play is good. So sunshine is good, running around is good, you know, healthy for your body, uh, good for your soul, right? But it also affects your um, physical health in ways you might not imagine. So for example, um, a scientist named Muti, and I'm not sure if I'm saying the last name correctly, it's M-U-T-T-I, did some research on uh, nearsightedness. And they found that uh, the incidence of nearsightedness has greatly increased over the past 20, 25 years. And they attribute it to children not being outdoors as often, which means that they never have to focus out on the horizon. Uh huh. Right? Mm. So they don't get that switch from close focus to far focus as often. And it's actually affecting their visual acuity. So there are many ways that keeping kids indoors all the time or, or many much of the time yeah. is, is mm-hmm. not super healthy for them. Yeah, that is very interesting. And you just wonder what other kind of not underlying in the fact that they're not important, but like mm, smaller kind of things like that that we don't notice right away mm-hmm. that are happening too right. because of it. Well, and I think you mentioned, Carla, like that safety factor. And I know even from my own personal experience when I wasn't working full time, I was then at home more so the boys could be out more and I felt more comfortable with that. But, you know, with both parents working full time, many is the instant or many families have that, you know, it is it you worry then is are they safe and yeah it's no longer the days of leaving in the morning and checking in back when it gets dark yeah no it's like school (laughs) daycare home right yeah and i can see how that then leads to them a little more sedentary lifestyle um to combat that, I think then you move, like we have moved into the sports, you know, but mm-hmm. that has its own drawbacks as well, mm-hmm. because then you kind of can go overboard with the sports or that tends to be year round or, you know, it's the a busyness hard... of scheduling. Right. Yeah. And right. it's hard finding that balance. I think balance is the key, right? So sports, I think sports are great for kids learning and development and you learn teamwork and you mm-hmm. feel accomplishment. And of course, it's good for you physically. So it's it's not about any of these being bad. It's about trying to have a mix. Yeah. And mm-hmm. also trying to include the best you can some unstructured play. Right. Some time where mm-hmm. the child just gets to choose and and even be bored. You know, I've been reading a lot lately of uh, like op-ed pieces in the newspaper saying, it's okay to let your yes. kid be bored sometimes. You yes. don't have to play all the time or with to him be... and entertain all the yes. time. That's right? what I was going to say, or to be yeah. entertained. I think of car rides. You know, mm-hmm. and now how like every car has a TV in it. Yes. And we have, um, we just bought a new car, so now we have one, but we, we have not had one before. And it's like when we would go on vacation with friends, uh, my kids would always want to ride in their car because they got to watch their <laughs> iPad and they got to watch their mm-hmm. tablet. And I was like, well, you have a book right there and we're going to, you know, we'll tell a story a little bit farther down the road and, and or you guys can look out the window and we can play I Spy and things like that too. And so now my kids are super excited that we got a TV in the car though. So that kind of makes me feel like a little bit of a failure. <laughs> well, and even just with electronic devices, like growing up, I did not have iPads or, yeah. or tablets. I had a cell phone when I was 23, my first mm-hmm. cell phone. You know, and my son, my youngest will say, can you bring his, you know, tablet with him? I'm like, no, let's just look out the window. I mean, I feel right. bad because I'm like, let's just look out the window. <laughs> 
<laughs> Let's work like, on your nearsightedness. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, and then we'll always find something interesting or like, yes. wow, that's cool. I'm yeah. like, you wouldn't have seen that if you're face would have been right. in the screen you know right. but i'm like really as a society we're like let's just look out the window that to me is yes. just <laughs> yes let's do something novel like that right right exactly. <laughs> yeah. well it again goes back to balance right yeah. so i don't think that um ipads and you know video games and apps are are evil i mean you can actually find some yeah. ones that are quite bad for your child right. Right. Yes. for right. certain uh, but there are also some that are are quite uh, good for them in terms of uh you know, they learn a lot from those kinds of games, just like they learn from other games. They mm-hmm. learn mm-hmm. Uh, strategy, math, math. Uh, reading more. comprehension. Yeah, and then, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So they can be good. I actually wanted to mention a website that's helped me as a parent called commonsensemedia.org. Do you all know that? Um, I think I've heard of it, but yeah. I, I don't think that... I'm trying to remember the context in which I... Might have been an article that I was reading about it. Yeah, I know parents are often trying to find guidance, like what games are safe mm-hmm. and, and educational, still fun, but yeah. safe and educational versus things that I wouldn't want my child to watch. And I found this, and this is just a recommendation as a mom, not as a scientist. I haven't done mm-hmm. any research on this, but I've used it uh, when my child was younger, especially. So what they do is they rate the content of movies, books, television shows, games, apps, and websites Wow! for kids 2 to 18. That's awesome. And they'll tell you, you know, it has, um, and they'll tell you why they rated it low because, you know, of sex or violence or bad language or, and you can make decisions about whether that's something that you're you're okay with. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. So they give you a little information about it. And I looked at it the other day, just in preparation for talking with you. And I, I was impressed by the group of experts that they brought together to do these ratings. So, I don't know, it'd be another... I think it's also useful just to talk to family and friends yeah. about what's working. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if you if you want more information about what might be safe, I think it's another resource to go That's to. That's a great resource. And I was going to say also just maybe for suggestions. Like if yes. you are looking for um, a math... Uh, app that you can use with your kids. Um, my coworker, our children's uh, librarian, Erin, she had told me about bedtime math. I'd never heard of it, you know, through their school or through, you know, our, my own internet uh, searching, had never heard of it. And it's a great app. So that could also be used as a resource just to find different things that you are looking for as a fit to your family. I agree. Well, and in talking about, you know, like the kids and getting too much screen time and stuff, I think it's also an important reminder, um, especially for new and expecting parents, um, is themselves, is to Mm -hmm. kind of police yourself. Um, You know, I didn't have a smartphone until, you know, it's been a few years now, but when the boys were little, you know, I... I think had a cell phone, but yeah, you know, but it wasn't um, a smartphone. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And like now we see so much of the parents always looking at their phone mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. their child. And I've even seen right. commercials and stuff where they're starting to come out with, you know, the child saying, play with me and just the importance of that. So, you know, that is a habit that is easily, um, you get tied up in or, or, or pulled into. You do. Yeah. And we're all guilty of it. So right. this isn't about like making blame. No, or, or putting right. judgment. But yeah, I for think sure. being cognizant of it and, yeah. and trying to be mindful of taking breaks from your own technology so that you're interacting mm-hmm. face-to-face with your child 
is really critical and yeah. something I have to remind myself of often. It's mm-hmm. important. Myself as well, definitely. Mm-hmm. And me too. And that's something like we didn't see even yeah. a decade ago. Oh, we, yeah. You know, and, and so it's just interesting as you were talking about the history of play and how it's changing in our own habits. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just interesting to reflect on. Yeah. Yeah. I do think definitely technology has been a major influence on how play has changed in the last 10 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Agreed. There's no need to go outside when you can, um, you know, like with whatever PlayStation or platform you have, (laughs) and you can connect with the neighbors, not Mm -hmm. only across the street, but literally people around the world and, you know, be in a combat unit with them or whatever. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Going out on your patrols or, you know, (laughs) whatever the game is or Minecraft, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, All three of my boys were able to play that together at the same time, which was fun to see them play that because they were cooperating. Yeah. But, you know, all day is probably not a good right. Right, <laughs> right. Good, good thing for that to go yeah. off. You know. It's yeah, the- you can get some social interaction out of things like Minecraft. And boy, what a great way to build visual memory, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, there's some really great computer games out there, but it still goes back to the balance. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's key for sure. Um, something else that new and expecting uh, parents may not think of is the library as a place to play. Uh, again, talking about the history of play, you know, the history of libraries have been that they have been, you know, a quiet place where you check out books and they've really <laughs> evolved since then to be more of a community hub. Uh, we have kind of gone through our own tra- uh transition at North Liberty um, just in the last two years we've updated our children's area so we've put in a couple of interactive playstations uh, we have a Lego table like you were talking about with the blocks and we have a train table which um, I think works on motor skills a little bit but that's more of a social interaction I think for sure uh, taking turns learning social cues that kind of thing we've got a little uh, diner a dinette set which is fun to see the kids um, playing and you know taking turns being uh, that imaginary play being the cooker right. and the um, the person who's getting the food served to them and also um, all of our story times especially our baby story time uh, we do um, scarves and shakers um, in our baby story time and I just love it so much when um, so they're a little bit older maybe you know uh, not quite infants but a little bit mobile so you know a year to maybe 15 months but as soon as I get the scarves out, the, their favorite thing is always peekaboo. So they'll run up to me sure. and they'll put the scarves over their faces like a peekaboo. And I always do peekaboo, but I always do another song before that, too. So it's it's that anticipation yes. um, and that it's their turn, you know, for the peekaboo. And so I really, I really enjoy that. Uh, so make sure to check out your local library or come to the North Liberty Library to see what kind of programs we have to offer along with. Um, I think most libraries in the area mm-hmm. have a... Um, a, a children's area where you can play. Mm-hmm. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, Carla, is there any upcoming events or programs that you want our listeners to be aware of? Well, I think it would be a shame to talk about play without mentioning the Iowa Children's Museum. Agreed. <laughs> so the Iowa Children's Museum is a great place for children to play and learn. And uh, since we're really focused, especially on new parents here, if you haven't been into the Iowa Children's Museum, they really do make exhibits that can appeal to many different ages. Mm-hmm. So if you go upstairs with your real little one to the farm room, that's especially good for the tiny ones. Yeah. It's, it's sort of um, 
everything's down low everything's a, like a foam padded kind of floor it's soft mm-hmm. um, so they can do a lot of play there in a very safe way and usually the other kids in there are the little ones yes. so they're not going to get mm-hmm. plowed over yeah. by a, a mm-hmm. bigger kid yeah. um, so all ages can be accommodated there and I highly recommend that you visit the Children's Museum. I agree they have some really great programs as well so in addition to just the um, kind of the the regular uh set that they have they've got you know they do a crafting program or they do holiday parties or um you know they have special guests come and those are always very fun nights too absolutely they also have some family free nights throughout the year you can look for those on their website we'll post a link but i think it's the last friday of the month i believe yeah which is fantastic yeah what a great um Thing to give to the community. Oh yeah, it's yeah. a great opportunity yeah. for people. So um, don't let costs keep you away because there are free nights if you'd like to explore and see what it's like. Yeah. So I also really like one another thing about the Children's Museum is the how kids are able to lead that play themselves. They can choose where they want to go. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they can choose to go to the kitchen or they can choose to go, like you said, to the farm area or the Legos. Uh, you know, depending on their age. But it's like their choice. They get to how long they want to stay there and how long they want to play. And my kids, when they were little, used to love the the ballroom with all the little like golf balls in it. Mm-hmm. And I think the last three or four times we've been there, they haven't even wanted to go in there. So, I mean, it's fine. It's their choice. Right. So I They'll think change. That's, yes, exactly. And that's okay. Right. There's something for all of them there. When you're saying it's their choice, it reminds me that I think by the front door, there's a place where kids can put a little... Um, a little ball or bead or something into a clear box to vote for their favorite. Yes. And even that, yeah. like what a sense of agency that must give a kid. Yes. Since it, I can, I get to tell you which one was the best. Right. right? Yeah. And they get to vote. So exactly. that's kind of fun. Yeah. And they always have changing exhibits. So mm-hmm. that's really neat. A great opportunity to continue visiting that. And, um, I know when my boys were little, I mean, it was just a great opportunity for the parents as well. Your whole family can go in. And so that lends itself very well to the whole family playing together. So Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. There's. It's not just for kids. You know, you can take your child there and interact with your child and play yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. It's yeah. a great place, yeah. We're really lucky. I've been to larger cities um, and have gone to their children's museum, like Denver, and it's like nothing compared to ours. I mean, mm. it's um, it's still good. It just is um, a, a smaller scale. So we're just mm. in such a great area and so very lucky to have that. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I also want to mention the Children's Vocabulary Project. It's not particularly play-based, but since uh, hopefully lots of parents are listening, (laughs) I'll plug it anyway. So again, this is our research on how children's ability to learn words changes from first grade to fourth grade, and it's run here in Iowa. So if you have a first grader and you're interested in learning more, um, you can uh, go to boystownhospital.org forward slash vocabulary project. I think we'll be able to post that yeah, we'll link post as that well. Link too. And so they so. would need to start with a first grader because you want to see the the first through, I'm sorry, fourth or first, fifth? First through fourth. First through fourth. So you'd want to see that development from, mm-hmm. so if you have a third grader like me, too late in the game. Too late. Yeah. If you have a kindergartner though, it isn't too late because we'll be recruiting next year too. Nice. So yeah. Okay. That's great. So before we end today's podcast, Carla, can you share with our listeners um, what your favorite storytime memory or book was either as a child yourself or reading and having story times with your own children? Absolutely. So 
I have always really admired um, E.B. White as a writer, yeah. and I think Charlotte's Web is probably his most well-known book. But I really like The Trumpet of the Swans. I and agree. It, is that such a good one? Yeah. So if and it, I read it again as an adult a few years ago, and I think I realized something that maybe is why it was such an important book to me. So for those of you who haven't read it, this he's a trumpeter swan, but he was born without a way to make any sound, so he couldn't use that, that honking, that noise that the trumpeter swans make. And so his uh, dad buys him an actual trumpet to use so that he can make sound. And now I'm a speech-language pathologist, so I thought <laughs> maybe that was my inspiration. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> That's great. So great to pinpoint that exact moment. <laughs> exactly. like when your calling became That's clear. That's right. Thank you, E.B. White. <laughs> okay, so in uh, summary today, we have been talking with Dr. Carla McGregor um, about her work with uh, the Boystown National Research Hospital. She works... Um, with uh, studying vocabulary and um, she's been talking with us today about the importance of play in children and babies development so we've talked about the different ways that babies can play we've talked about the different um, kind of developmental stages or uh, cycles that they go through from baby to toddler to a little bit older kids and how uh, babies and children relate with each other um, in reference to play as well and then we talked about some uh, programs at the library and then also her um can you say the vocabulary research study vocabulary project project thank you yes which we will again uh post the link to as well well thanks so much for uh speaking with us today carla i had fun talking about play and um emphasizing the importance of that literally from the very beginning and and how that progresses um, over our lifetimes and even as adults, how we can play. So thank you so much for uh, talking with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this has been really great. Thanks a lot, Carla.